Outside of Dalhart, we pass mile after mile of doleful looking stink producing cows awaiting slaughter in the dry Texan heat. Texas is the biggest contiguous state, yet once the trip had ended I realised we'd actually spent more time in Rhode Island, the smallest, than Texas, the largest. In what seemed like no time at all we passed over into New Mexico, our fourth state of the day. This had been the longest day yet, no thanks to the land of Oz, eight hours and counting. It was starting to take its toll. Emily was driving like a freaking maniac as I cowered in the passenger seat, seeing a new side to my driver, which I put down to a surfeit of thin air. What do you know about New Mexico then? I asked, in between burping up the last but one meal I had. Uh, Roswell, Sun, Sand, Them, John Denver. John Denver? Yeah, a Roswell boy. The sun was barely above the jagged horizon of the cold hills surrounding Santa Fe as we entered town and got a hotel. Later, in the drive through line at Arby's, I noticed Emily was muttering sentiments in tongues under her breath. Upon reflection, we'd probably driven too far that day. The phone in the hotel room rang around 7.30 the next morning. What are the Niedermeyer family doing in the Windy City? said the chirpy male voice on the other end. Huh? What are the Niedermeyer family doing in the Windy City? he repeated. I suggest, said Emily, that you telephone them to find out and smacked the receiver back down onto the cradle with enough force to suggest yesterday had not been a one-off as far as temperament was concerned. I made a mental note to look for a plug-in Zen water fountain for the car next time we were near Kmart. We drove into downtown on Cirillus Road, the main drag into Santa Fe. It was a cloudless and freezing day, the wind bringing temperatures down ever lower. Santa Fe was beautiful, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. We weaved through the mass of trinket sellers at the bus station and headed for the well-publicised, miraculous staircase of the Loretto Chapel. Sadly, though, the place was full of families taking video of a staircase. Miraculous or not, that's going to be one boring film, man. It's no nuns, either. I felt kind of queasy again during lunch in a second-floor restaurant on the main square, mentioning to Emily that the one-story altitude variation had made all the difference. Emily sighed a little and said I was the sick kid of the trip, like at school, where every year has a perpetually ill, injured kid. The clowns in the room above us woke me about 6am. Frickin' spring break jackasses, or the son and his friend who mum and dad let have a room to themselves. Around about 7, a large number of people noisily walked past our room, a voice accompanying them saying, Remember folks, four poles each? early rising peace takers. First stop of the morning was to Borders Books for some new reading and or listening material. 
As I was bent at the waist reading the spines of the books from a sideways position, a pair of skinny, denim-clad legs appeared right next to me with an accompanying voice. You ever read this? The voice belonged to a scraggly-haired woman in her late thirties. I noticed she had a small tracheotomy-type scar on her neck. Uh, no. Oh, it's great. You guys travelling across country? I didn't feel like giving her the full story, so I sufficed with a yes. I know this great place where you can hire tapes for the car. It's a truck stop on I-40. I'll write the address down for you if you want, she said, as she looked in her purse for a pen. I'm not sure whether she was lonely or bored or, or whatever, but we got our whole story of her moving from East Coast to California to start a new life, like thousands of other people must do every year. Just as she was turning the conversation towards specifics of the direction we were headed, Emily told her we were going to get going, and we spun off down the aisle. I heard her still talking as we left. Weeks later, when Emily was clearing out the car, she came across the note written on a paper napkin. The scrawly writing on it still sends a shiver up my spine. I've no idea if that place ever existed, or who would have been waiting for a couple of saps like us if it did, but I'm glad we had no inclination to find out. For all I know, it was genuine, but yeah, sometimes you can't be too careful. We hung about in Santa Fe looking in the window of every art and jewellery shop until wearily hitting the road again north towards Taos. Mercifully, only a couple hours up the road, running alongside the Rio Grande River. Taos attempts to gain tourist mileage by billing itself as an artist's colony, but it looked mostly like t-shirts and tourist shops nowadays. There was no one around in our lobby of our non-chain hotel, the Sunshine Lodge. I rang the bell. A tall, withering lady of later middle years, who looked and acted like she'd been sniffing too much oxygen, appeared from around the corner. We have reservations, said Emily. Yes, she said. For today, yes. Uh, can we check in? Check in? You want to check in? Sir? Sir, are you in the Navy, sir? Emily kind of rolled her eyes and looked at me. Tonight was cold and the weather channel said even colder weather was on the way. Tomorrow we were driving into the mountains of Colorado and positively the last thing I wanted in the mountains was bad weather. I just hoped the good travel karma that had prevailed so far would keep, keep up until at least we were over the mountains and into the desert. Later, I sat in the balcony outside our room, watching, as more and more snow piled up. Our luck weather-wise had held until now, but unless things melted pretty quickly by tomorrow morning, it would be our luck melting away. We had pre-booked a room in Durango, southern Colorado, north through the mountains from here, for the following evening, and should we fail to turn up, we'd lose our deposit. I lay in bed, straining to hear the snowfall, hearing only the Japanese girl and her girlfriend I spotted earlier clomping up the wooden steps next to our room. As feared, it snowed in the night, quite a bit. It was still coming down the following morning as I crooked a finger around the curtain, rubbed my eyes and peered outside into the bright brightness. As we sat sipping hot coffee at McDonald's later on, the snow intensified. It was now or never in terms of pressing on to Durango. We were leaving the austere, sun-loving New Mexico for what I thought was a land of mountains and snow and rugged off-road, but it looked just like New Mexico did. We took US-64 through Kit Carson National Forest, where the weather initially rallied but then steadily got worse. After passing the highest bridge over our old friend the Rio Grande, the weather worsened to the point where Emily, driving today, stopped me from reading a paperback. Things were getting more serious than I thought. We were in the midst of an almost total whiteout, while climbing ever higher into the goodness knows what. There was a car behind us, and that much we knew from the dim lights to our rear. Other than that, we were guesstimating. 
The car behind us left at Tres Piedras, and from there to Tierra Amarilla, we saw no one. Nobody else was stupid enough to drive through the mountains in those horrendous conditions. This was getting worrying. There was nothing to tell us where we were on the road. We'd been relying on the tracks made by a car passing in the opposite direction earlier, but foot by foot, inch by inch, they were being covered over by the ever-increasing snowfall. I knew Emily was scared, and I tried to show I wasn't. Just as Emily slowed to a snail's pace and the snow clogged the front wheels, a large uh, semi-tractor trailer appeared from nowhere, cutting a swathe through the whiteness. The tracks he put down, although being covered over by the second, proved invaluable to us getting off the mountain that day. So with us making it to Colorado, we're going to take a, a pause there and jump forward in history to 2020. I recently had a trip uh, back to Europe, to Scotland, with my two boys. And, you know, I, I, I lived in Edinburgh for 10 years. I, I like to think I know it quite well. I'm very familiar with Edinburgh Airport. Although, each time I go, there seems to be a new building or a new layout. Uh, if you're a casual visitor, it can throw you quite a bit. Now, in the journey home, we, were, we had an early morning flight from Edinburgh to Washington, D.C., and from uh, D.C. to the Midwest. So I had to get the rental car back to the rental car facility at Edinburgh Airport. It seems fairly easy to do. I've done it at airports uh, all over the United States and in significant other parts of the, of the world. So I see the sign for rental car return, and I head towards it. Then, a complete absence of signs. I had no idea where to go. This was Edinburgh Airport, something I, a place I thought I knew really well. I could not find the rental car return. I was driving everywhere. I ended up in the drop-off line, and that cost me three pounds, which is two pounds to get in the line, and then I dropped a pound coin, uh, which I was not going to go and get out of the car and retrieve. So three pounds later, I eventually saw a sign. But you know, here's the thing: the sign was. Uh, the sign was facing you as you left the airport. I mean, what, what good is that? It's a rental car return sign. You want to see that sign as you enter the airport, not as you leave. It was a very poorly designed sign. It was just in the wrong place, facing basically the wrong direction. And you know, I do have some experience in this. During my time in Europe, I spent a couple of years working for a local authority in Scotland, and that's all I did was design signs. And you know, maybe it's more of a an art than a science but there's there's I mean there's certain basics and, and one of them would be make sure you have that sign facing the right way so that the majority of the traffic that need to see that sign are going to see it they shouldn't have to go round a roundabout and turn round to see that sign signs are a big deal right I mean you one of the most famous road trip books out there Bill Bryson's Lost Continent he talks about signs and, and the importance of them and how, you know, he'd find himself sitting in a McDonald's eating food he didn't want, not wanting to be there, just because a sign had told him. Signs help you, man. Signs can be misleading, too. My regular commute on Interstate 74, I leave at uh, exit 11, eastbound, and they recently, and I mean within the last two years, made a slight change to the layout and they added an extra lane. Now, the sign telling you about the exit is somewhat misleading and this throws people to the extent that even though people know they just need to stay in the lane they're in they can't help but take in the right hand lane and I see this every day they take the right hand lane and then 
at the last minute they jump back into the other lane that they originally needed, the one they were in to start with. It makes no sense whatsoever, but a combination of people don't like change and a slightly ambiguous sign, and, and it's, that's enough to throw it. And as I reflect back on the trip, maybe signs were way more important back in 2001 than they are now. We, we all have our GPS on our, either on our car and then everybody's got them on their cell phone and so if you don't want to look at signs you don't have to you just follow the voice that's coming out of your phone or your car but back in 2001 yeah signs were kind of important and I do remember later on in the trip Emily and I managed to miss the turn off for the Grand Canyon and let's be honest it's a pretty big hole in the ground we managed to miss the sign for that because it was just too small it was the uh it's the wrong kind of sign right so I will take the ownership of that, but yeah, signs are important, man.